I'd like to talk about patience tonight. Patience is one of the ten paramis, that's the ten qualities or perfections of an awakened heart. And it's the sixth of the ten paramis in the Theravadan tradition. And there are six paramitas in the Mahayana, and patience is also included in that list. And each of them takes us beyond our fear of letting go so that we can learn to be comfortable with uncertainty. Parami means crossing to the other shore, to the shore of freedom. The Buddha described patience as the highest form of devotion, the certain pathway to freedom. And in each of the paramis, um, four qualities are described. Each has a characteristic, a function, a manifestation, and a proximate cause. So the characteristic of patience is acceptance, acceptance of the truth of a situation. And the function is to endure what's desirable and undesirable. And the manifestation is tolerance, not being in opposition to life. And the proximate cause is seeing things as they really are. So then it's both the best antidote that there is to violence, and it's also a firm foundation for insight and for understanding. This is what's said in um, the Dhammapada. Patience is an ocean on account of its depths, a shore on account of bounding the great ocean of hatred. When there is patience, the mind becomes concentrated, free from external distraction. And with the mind concentrated, all formations appear as impermanent, stressful, and not self. And in addition, nirvana appears as unconditioned, deathless, peaceful, and sublime. But the way that we grow up thinking about patience and the way we learn it really enforces more repression or um, a a kind of endurance that's a putting up with, a denial, a kind of grin and bear it. But it's it's more like it's suppressing the life force, you know, sort of shut up and be patient, sit there. And it's helpful to distinguish between what, is the bowing to of patience from bowing down and putting up with. It's more this willingness to be upright and just keep going in the face of difficulty, steadfast, rather than disconnected and scattered. So that patience is this quality that helps us settle into each moment of our lives fully and with an open heart and mind so that we're not so swept away by difficult energies. And it's not really an ideal state of calm. Sometimes we think if someone's patient, they're really calm and sitting there and nothing's bothering them. But it's really more a learning to relax with the energies of excitement and boredom and anger and um, fear and anxiety with that restlessness of our energy. So, really from the moment that we began the retreat, we were practicing patience. As soon as we sat down, we had to begin practicing patience to be with the restlessness of body and mind, with all the difficult sensations and thoughts and feelings and mind states that were coming up. And because we're in a sensory realm, our bodies and minds get restless because conditions are changing them all the time. And when we resist or react to the change, then we get impatient. And the impatient mind and heart are really the mind and heart of a refusal to be with what is. 
So we have to learn to transform our impatience into patience. And with patience, we came back. Oh, that's what you've been doing. Over and over again, beginning again, staying with the object of your meditation. So that patience helped us accept the wandering mind and at the same time refrain from getting lost in its travels. So that it was possible that we could just rest in the moment rather than jump onto whatever arose and got carried off with it. When we practice, we start to see our agitation more clearly and we can see that really the restlessness is that kind of struggle between aversion and wanting, between aversion and craving, this pull between the two that gives this restless energy. Because when we don't like the unpleasant states, when we want to move towards something more pleasant, whatever it is, it takes us further away from the truth and from the calm and peace that we seek. And then sometimes, as you've noticed, even when we get the calm and the peace and tranquility, after a little while, we find that peace and tranquility get incredibly boring. (laughs) You know, as Gil was saying last night, if it's not boring, it's not Buddhism. (laughs) And so here we are, we wanted this, and now we're bored. And so our mind goes, what's next? What's now? You come in and you say to us, now what do I do? It's hard for us to just be with how it is. And also, it's, um, it's not just um, a mental quality. It's a physical quality. You're aware of that, that's the physicalness of um, impatience, the sensations in the body, that kind of restless energy. And it's helpful to pay attention to that, too. It's almost like we need, with patience, we can begin to release that sense of urgency to have something other than what's happening right now, to be able to be with the sensations and energy and to stay with this commitment to the fullness of our practice rather than moving away. I was telling you um, early on in the retreat my laundry story and my impatience with the laundry and being there at four in the morning with this enormous pile of laundry and noticing that um, um, I have a tendency to be speedy and to want to do things efficiently so they will take as little time as possible. And so I noticed I was folding everything kind of quickly and not very neatly. And so as I became mindful of the energy in my body, I started to fold more slowly and to actually be aware of the movements of folding. And then I found as I was folding, um, just um, spontaneously, these phrases came into my mind as I was folding. May this woman be blessed. And I would fold the laundry. I'd pick up another shirt. And may this woman be blessed today. Pick up another one. And so it began to be slower and more mindful. And it was actually very beautiful to see how just coming into the moment there could be pleasure in that, rather than the projection of how long this was going to take if I did it mindfully. So one of the qualities that really um, helps us with patience um, is constancy or perseverance. The usual translation is endurance, but I find that Um, a hard word to endure, to put up with, and I find constancy more helpful. Suzuki Roshi describes it as the willingness to be present for what is again and again. That's that we keep coming back. We don't give up. So instead of running away from the boredom or the fear or um, the anxiety, whatever it is, we're firm We just come back. We stay with what's here, with whatever happens. We're just firm with ourselves. And so it has a heroic quality, a courageous quality of not giving up on ourselves, not giving up on the moment. The, The Buddha urged his monks to put up with the uncomfortable realities of life without trying to fix things. 
Because if we keep choosing to change things in order to be comfortable, the mind gets more and more fussy and restless and anxious. So the more we try to control it and fix it, the more restless it becomes. It's like that when you're sitting. If you keep trying to get comfortable, the more you move, it it continues. So this is what he said to his monks. And how is a practitioner patient? By being resilient to cold, heat, hunger, and thirst, to the touch of flies, mosquitoes, wind, sun, and reptiles, (laughs) to ill-spoken and unwelcome words, and to bodily feelings that when they arise are painful, piercing, disagreeable, displeasing, and menacing to life. (laughs) So, you think you have problems? (laughs) So, (laughs) will isn't helpful. When we use will to practice patience, we're trying to conquer our restlessness. And that really reinforces ego. We become the one who has to subdue this or get over it. And it's much more helpful, I find, to see it as more a steady perseverance, which allows us to use mindfulness to investigate restlessness, to see what the energy is about, and to notice and know it for what it is. Is it actually excitement? Is it aversion? Is it wanting? Or is it agitation, what is it? And we can do that by balancing the persistence with kindness, with respect, exploring what's here with gentleness rather than forcing. So we can bring ourselves back to a difficult moment with compassion by encouraging, come on, I can be here for just a little bit longer with this. And we can notice the, the changes in our mind's reaction to the changes without getting so caught and compelled. We can stay with it no matter what's happen, happening if we combine it with kindness. And so really, we're linking persistence with compassion. We're linking our, our wisdom practice with our compassion practice. And what we find often is that when patience disappears, often compassion goes too. When we don't have either one, it's like the heart closes and we're not listening to ourselves or to each other. When we're impatient with ourselves, often there's not much compassion there. Oscar Wilde says, it's not the perfect, but the imperfect that deserves our love. And we think we have to be perfect to get it. So we then, what we're doing is riding the difficult energies, that sense of moving with it. And then we're also allowing resting. Sometimes it's just resting in a moment being there with acceptance without trying to figure it out, just here with what is, no matter how difficult the moment is. And we're doing it with this, rather than waiting with a sort of tightness of, I can get through this no matter what, kind of gritted teeth thing, or being here with, with forcing, or righteousness, or some kind of vigilance, because all that does is bring in contraction and tension which all of you have found, that kind of hardness. And that just increases the suffering and increases the discomfort. And it's when we can just say very softly, I'm here, I'm here. It doesn't feel very good, but I'm here. Just that being able to stay with it. One of the analogies that I like is um, that of a heron. You know how a heron stands when it's fishing, sort of stands there completely poised and alert and very present. And it's just there, ready for if a fish comes. It's not flying back and down going, when will I catch a fish? When will I catch a fish? You know, it's not agitated. It's just right there. 
And it's not falling asleep and dozing off and missing the fish. It's perfectly poised, and patience has that, just staying on the edge of what's uncomfortable, without falling either side into either giving up or into overstriving. So we need both those aspects of patience, both the not giving up and the compassion, the kindness. We're alert and present, whatever comes, And that way we can release our expectations and our hopes and our fears and not get so caught up with them. We're able to be on that edge of not knowing what will happen. And the quality of our attention as we do that is really important. And it's that clear, mirror-like attention of mindfulness, which means there's no judgment there, there's no identification. Is that seeing of everything without adding. And at the same time, nothing is excluded. So it's open, it's precise, and it um, has that kindness. Because patience doesn't mean also suppressing pain or um, not allowing things into our awareness. If what's here is resistance, an unacceptance, then that's what we allow. That's what we include. And we give ourselves room for the agitation and the fear and the difficult feelings. And so the, the third aspect of patience, the first was the persistence and the constancy. The second is including compassion. The third aspect is the inclusiveness, that allowing of all that's here. And when we can do that, it then allows transformation. Um, It's almost as though when we make space, when we allow it all, the heart and mind are large enough to allow whatever is here to be fully seen and transformation can happen in that way. Whether it's physical or emotional pain, both are possible. You remember um, several of us have mentioned the um, sutta of the Buddhist teaching to Rahula, where he had him meditate on earth, air, fire, and water, and space, and encouraged him to have meditation that was like the elements, that connected with the different elements and allowed the movement between himself and the elements, giving that quality of spaciousness so that whatever he experienced could be seen and known and pass through. And that increases our capacity to be with and to receive experience, to embrace it. And whatever happens to it, we're not so caught in reactivity. And that way, when something happens to us, when we're feeling sensitive on retreat and someone behaves or does something in the hall or in the dining room that feels uncomfortable, um, we feel the contraction. Ow! That wasn't so pleasant. But we're able to be with it and allow it without getting caught in reactivity. We can remember and connect with the spaciousness, connect with the awareness, and we're not quite so swept away. And then it can be just anger or just embarrassment or just fear, whatever it is, and there's a possibility of movement. We're able to pay attention to whatever is happening in our bodies and our minds without proliferating into stories, without moving in that direction. So then we can endure the undesirable in that way without taking on some of the stuff that doesn't belong to us. It's said that the perfection of patience is the endurance of harm imposed by beings and formations. So it's the non-aversion is accompanied by compassion and skillful means. Often when um, we're receiving some kind of input that's unpleasant, 
whether it's from ourselves or from others, there's a tendency to contract around it and take it on. And um, it's difficult not to get caught in it and to believe the stories. And it's very helpful to see that it doesn't belong to us. In one of the suttas, the Buddha has an interaction with a man who is called Bahavdaja, the abusive. And this man comes to the Buddha when he's, um, he's, he's a, um, a wealthy landowner, Brahmin, and he comes to the Buddha when the Buddha is gathered with his monks and he starts hurling insults at him and um, being really obnoxious. And the Buddha doesn't react at all, so he continues. And when he pauses for breath, um, the Buddha asks him, do you receive guests, Brahmin? He says, yes. And um, if you serve them food, and do you serve them food and give them gifts? And he says, yes, I do. And he said, well, if they go away and they don't accept the food and the gifts, to whom does the food and the gifts belong? And he says, well, to me. And so the Buddha says, in this way, all the abuse and the words you have given to me, I don't accept. They belong to you. (laughs) And so it's that not reacting, but finding skillful means. Not taking on what doesn't belong to us. Not identifying with it. Whether it's words that we're giving ourselves or whatever we're projecting onto others that ability not to take on. Now, it's easy to be patient when things are going more smoothly. If you happen to be feeling very pleasant and calm and you're standing in line to wash your dishes and people are taking a long time very mindfully lifting, moving and scrubbing (laughs) their fog, you can be patient and loving. But if you're in a line at the supermarket and your parking meter is running out of money, it's a little harder to be patient with someone who's counting out their change. And we find this continuum of patience that moves into irritation, annoyance, frustration, disappointment, uh, and then eventually loss and grief and anger and self-righteousness and finally violence. And so it's very helpful to work with the small levels of impatience as they build so that we can prevent ourselves and understand when we get caught in that continuum. In another of the suttas, there's um, a maid called Kali and she works for um, Mistress Vedahika. And Mistress Vedahika has a reputation in the village of being very kind and generous and thoughtful and altogether... um, blemish-free. And so Kali, who is very smart and a hard worker and diligent and bright, decides, I wonder if there really is any anger in her or if she really is so pure. So she decides to do an experiment. She gets up late one morning and uh, Mistress Vedahika yells at her and scolds her for being late. So she thinks, hmm, Mistress Vedahika can get impatient. So the next morning she gets up a bit later still. This time there are even more loud protests. Hmm, Mistress Vedahika can get angry. She hasn't overcome anger. And then the third morning she gets up really late around noon and Mistress Vedahika totally loses it and grabs a broom and hits her over the head. And according to the Sutish, um, Kali runs out into the street with her head bleeding and um, says, see, Mistress Vedahika isn't so um, nice and kind and sweet. She's capable of violence. And so the challenge is, can we be patient no matter what is coming towards us? Can we practice tolerance? In one of Robert Thurman's articles, when he's talking about the struggles with violence. He said, to conquer violence, you need unshakable tolerance. That ability to just be and really not to, um, not to give in or to be stepped on, not to give up what you believe is true, but unshakable tolerance. 
So we're beginning here by being patient with the small impatiences. And so as we build the ability to stay with the small difficulties, we build trust. Trust that we can be with just this moment. We can stay with a difficult sitting. We can stay with a mind state that's unpleasant. Or we can be with wanting. Whatever it is, we build that. And then we begin to experience as the retreat goes on, deeper and deeper difficulties and griefs or losses or anger, whatever it is that starts to surface as we settle. And it takes great courage to include even that, to be there for ourselves with even that, and say yes too to this sadness or this despair or this frustration as it comes around. Patience gives us the courage to be able to allow it, to keep open and to begin again, to take this next step again and again. Someone asked Mary Pickford how she had what one of the um, most helpful messages in life was for her. And she said, if you've made mistakes, even serious mistakes, you can have a fresh start any moment you choose. For this thing we call failure is not the falling down, but the staying down. And so it's that ability to be patient and just get up for ourselves once more, just to take another step. So it's that trust to open and stay with the hard places and not immediately shut the door or jump in and fix and overreact. When we jump in and fix and overreact, that's kind of like the near enemy of compassion that you've been practicing. It's that wanting to fix it so that we don't feel the pain. The far enemy of compassion is the cruelty that we can get caught in sometimes. But it's that wanting to fix it rather than allow the natural unfolding um, that sometimes gets in our way. And with trust, we can patiently step back and allow the unfolding. We start to have trust in ourselves and and in each other. And rather than believing in the negative judgments... We're able to be with just this breath, just this step, just this moment, however it is. So that way we're building our trust. We're able to be with ourselves more and more. Stephen Levine says, a moment of trust is like letting the water support you. It requires compassion and forgiveness. And it's about healing from the difficulties, not by pushing away, but by patience, by kindness. So it's that letting the water support you that Gil spoke about in the story last night of the swimmer. Remember at the beginning I talked about the characteristic of patience, of acceptance, of seeing the truth. That willingness to see deeply into the nature of reality. And it starts happening naturally and spontaneously in our practice when we begin to let go. And the mindfulness and patience actually create the conditions to be able to let go. To be able to let go of clinging. Rather than it being a doing, it's more the resting quality of patience that allows it to happen. What happens is that with patience we explore holding on. Um, And we see that, um, well I'm sure you've all seen it, that letting go just doesn't happen once. You can have that sitting where you let go and you think, ah, finally I did it. And then two or three minutes later, there you are clinging again, 
to something different. And so it's a letting go over and over that's required. And we see that the thoughts and sensations come and go all on their own. When the mind's very still, we get to see that we don't really have to do anything. There's this constant movement of coming and going, coming and going. And that the holding on, the clinging, is optional. And it's actually a relief when we see that. When we really know that it doesn't matter what thoughts arise, because they're going to pass, then there's a little bit of a release around the clinging. And also we're less afraid of whatever thoughts arise. We're more able to release into that spaciousness of patience and to just know that it comes and goes. And when that happens, we start to be aware more of emptiness. We start allowing the coming and the going and being less afraid to let go. And as we start letting go of that sense of self, as it starts to loosen a bit, sometimes it's scary. And sometimes you may have noticed that after you've had an insight or after you've had an awareness or a letting go, that suddenly the next sitting there may be a flurry of thoughts. Or maybe the next sitting you may find yourself falling asleep. That those changes in practice. And sometimes the flurry of thoughts is a way of holding on. So that the e- it's like the ego is, wants to do something to confirm its existence. Or the sleepiness is a way of escaping from the fear of letting go. Both those can happen. And as we start to gently stay with it, we see that. And we're able to, once we know that, oh, that's what's happening, the busyness and the thoughts start to calm down a little bit. And we're not, we're able to be on the edge of not knowing without having to reach for a fantasy or drift off again. Sometimes also we'll get what um, um, I call to myself a sort of ego backlash where there's been a a letting go or an insight or a deeper awareness and then all of a sudden you're in some, you know, opposite. Like there's a denial of the truth. That can't be so. Um, And all the difficult feelings sort of emerge in fuller force than they were before as a way of trying to hold on to some sense of self. It sort of rebuilds your structure again very quickly. And so it's helpful to see that we go through these cycles of awareness and then doubt and resistance. And some of you have noticed that. There'll be clarity and then there'll be a few sittings and you'll think, what happened? How come I'm caught in doubt and discouragement and frustration and busy mind again, what happened? And it is these cycles that um, happen as we start to let go and as our ego doesn't like that so much. And with patience, we begin to be able to allow that and know it for what it is and to say, oh, here comes another one of those cycles. Let's see what it's like this time. What will it look like this time? And we don't take it so personally, and we don't identify with it. And that's helpful. We can also see um, deeper truths in our awareness of time when we explore impatience on retreat. Often you'll notice your awareness of time when you first come in, there's this pull into the past or this movement into the future. And as we go through our day, there's a continual movement in the future. You, know, you begin and then you're thinking about lunch. Um, I think someone, I think it was Gil, Gil was um, talking the other day and he said, um, sometimes people think of the three refuges as breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> And there's that sort of movement towards (laughs) mealtime that can happen um, when we're bored. (laughs) 
the events of the day or reading the notice board for yet more um, entertainment, whatever it is. And we start to notice our particular pattern with impatience. One of the things I notice is that um, I have uh, running shoes and I don't untie the laces because I'm too impatient to untie them and then tie them again. But as my practice starts to slow down, I start to untie my laces and actually enjoy tying them again. And it becomes a pleasant thing to do. And so it's, it's very interesting to look at our, our individual patterns of impatience and how they change over the course of the retreat. How we are able to allow things to, to um, not be so rushed through. I was um, washing my dishes one day in the dining room and I was very mindfully enjoying washing my fork. I'm sure the person behind me was not having such a good time, but it was taking me a long time. And then I noticed while I was doing it that my mind was going through all the steps of getting a cup, putting cathics in it, and putting the water on the cathics and adding the... It was just doing that. It was already doing that. Wow, look at that, how hard it is to stay in the present moment. And so I took my cup outside and I was sitting by the, by the creek and watching the water move and drinking and just reflecting on how difficult it is to stay in the present moment. How that energy that is moving us constantly is so difficult, that what next energy. And as I was doing that, um, it was like suddenly um, now got swept away. And I realized that I was attached to now. And that you can cling even to now. And that in letting go of now, there was this sense of freedom, of timelessness, of not being, um, of allowing all the senses of time without having to move and follow either one or be contracted. There was a contraction around having to stay in now. And so when there's that sense of allowing that comes the more patience begins to develop, it's the sense of contentment and peace that comes with it. So in a way, the opposite of impatience is contentment. That sense of, ah, not needing to be anywhere other than what's happening. At times, the energy released when we let go of a contraction, can be really excited energy. We can have this sort of rush of energy. And we really need patience to rein it in. The energy of excitement, the energy of joy. Sometimes it can feel very full in the body. And we can just need to be very gentle with it and, and support ourselves so that it doesn't get carried off into thoughts. Sometimes when we've had um, an insight or an awareness, it's exciting. And all of a sudden, all these ideas about what we're going to do with it in our lives come into our minds, and problems that we might solve, and we have creativity fits. And so it can be helpful when that happens, just to be with the energy. Because when we can just be with the energy and not get carried away into stories, more insights can arise. And then we can see how um, that energy um, is really um, almost like a childlike energy, curiosity, wonder. What's next? What's now? It's just bubbling up and sort of pouring out. And if we can just manage it with patience, support it, stay with it, maintain our practice, we can channel it into deeper insights and wisdom rather than letting it spiral out. Sometimes I've found that um, I'm anticipating. The energy is anticipation. And so that as things are arising, I've already decided what they're going to be. You know, it's hard to allow something to unfold just on its own. I've put a label on it before it's had a chance to, you know, emerge. And so with patience, we allow a natural unfolding and a deeper wisdom then can happen.
when we're patient, we start to see our impulses very clearly. And we see that they just come and go when we're mindful, without us having to act on them. Sometimes you can see intentions arise, and you don't have to carry them out. The intention to get up, the intention to um, do, to reach for a door, or whatever it is, you're aware of them before they happen, and there's a moment of choice. And we also start to see it's possible not to act on our impulses, but just to allow them. And the, we can loosen our identification in that way around self. Um, someone was asking the other morning about does this um, loosening of identification around self mean that we don't have responsibility? How does it fa- affect responsibility? What I've found is that um, the fact that I'm, when I'm in a more mindful state, I'm really aware of impulses and that they can come and they can go without me acting on them actually increases responsibility. It gives me that moment to see, would that be a wise and skillful thing to do or not? There's just that space. Lao Tzu says, do you have the patience to wait till your mind settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises by itself? So often we're impatient with our practice. We're impatient with our progress or with our ability to work with things, maybe, or that we're not meeting our expectations. We think, I should be able to do this already. Or how come this mind state is back yet again? I know my issues. I've known them for 20 years. How come I keep getting stuck? I've been on X number of retreats. I didn't want to see that memory again. And we get impatient with ourselves. I let go already. How come I'm clinging again? How come I lost it again? Why am I sleepy still? Whatever it is, we see ourselves getting caught. And so it takes a lot of patience to keep coming back and to acknowledge that things unfold in their own time. I'm not sure who said this, but adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. If you break open a cherry tree, you will find no flowers. But the spring breeze brings forth myriad blossoms. So it's allowing ourselves our own pace, and it's different for each of us. Everyone has a whole different pattern with impatience, and a whole different energy in their practice, and it varies at different times. At certain stages in our life, in the day, we're more (coughs) impatient than others. Sometimes it's physiological um, or hormonal. Um, and we can tell the differences that chemistry causes in our body and makes the energy be a little agitated or a little impatient. And understanding that helps us have patience with it. It's just the energy of, of whatever's going on right now. And you know that if you drink caffeine or, or, or um, certain things will bring that agitation and energy up. And it helps to understand that. Sometimes when we don't see that there's a difficult energy there, um, we can call it anxiety or call it fear. And sometimes it's just a vibration and it's a bit uncomfortable. And our perception of the energy um, gets, it gets called anxiety. And actually it's just energy. Um, sometimes we find with... Um, Uh, particularly those of us who've been menopausal, 
know that there are certain energies that come with those hormonal changes that wake you up in the middle of the night. And that any thought that comes through your mind will be something to worry about. It doesn't matter what it is. And so you learn that it's just that energy and that if you acknowledge that, then it doesn't attach to whatever goes by. It just gets to pass through. So when we're gentle and steady and we have compassion, it helps us when we fall into doubt, when we fall into discouragement or fear, or when the pleasant states go away and we want them to stay, when suffering seems to be increasing rather than decreasing, and when our practice seems to be going like that rather than going like that. The patience helps us to stay with it. It also helps when our practice is going really great, and so we start to slack off a little bit. Remember, um, at the very beginning, we talked about how the function of patience is to be able to be with both the, um, both the agreeable and with the disagreeable, to be able to balance both those and to keep going no matter what state we're in and to keep persevering, to keep the continuity, whether it's a difficult day or a rewarding day. We just patiently keep being mindful. After the Buddha's uh, first Dharma talk on the first noble truth, some, many of the people who were listening to him were so ready to hear the Dharma that they were instantly enlightened. And um, I've yet to have that happen in any of my Dharma talks. <laughs> or happen to any, in any Dharma talks that I've been listening to. And so, um, we need patience to be with this time that we're in and also to be with the ways that we all are and to not be discouraged and to keep appreciating each moment of transformation that we see. So many people here, everyone here, has had a transformation in some way, has had a change in awareness where they've seen something a little differently. And as we continue to stay with the energy that you've built on the retreat, this process is continuing. There's more letting go. There's more awareness. There's different transformations. Just by continuing with mindfulness in this gentle way, with patience and encouragement and understanding. And I like the description of a a certain type of Chinese bamboo tree that when you first plant it, within the, in the first two years, it grows about this high, about two inches. But you keep watering it and taking care of it and taking care of it. And then on the eighth year, all of a sudden, it shoots up about 20 feet. <laughs> so you never know <laughs> when the blossom will happen, when your practice will flower, when the fruits will appear. So we just patiently keep doing our practice without having an agenda and just trusting, trusting in our own wisdom and Buddha nature. And as our mindfulness grows, we see that mindfulness and patience are like a muscle. And each little time that we use it, it develops a little bit more and gets a little bit stronger. If we try and force it, we get sore muscles and we get discouraged. But if we do it gradually, the strength builds. And if we practice with the perseverance and the kindness and compassion and the inclusiveness of patience, it starts to happen on its own naturally. And there's a joy and there's an ease and there's a contentment that comes with that. It becomes effortless. And we start to see that we don't have to fill our moments up. We can allow the time to walk leisurely down towards lunch, as many of you are now doing. We can allow the moments to show us exactly what's unfolding and to reveal their own fullness. There's less rushing 
and there's less eagerness to move into the next moment. And there's a more full experience of life. So one of the things that helps is first the recognition that we're human and impatience occurs. It's going to keep happening because things will keep happening that we don't like. And so there will be that contraction. And so it helps to just stop and recognize the contraction when it occurs, the tightness, or to recognize the excitement and the wanting when something pleasant is happening. To appreciate these movements and to notice the impulsiveness and to make space for it, allow it, and to see that it's not who we are and that it's not permanent. So I'd like to end with this poem by T.S. Eliot. I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope. For hope would be hope for the wrong thing. And wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not yet ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light, and the stillness the dancing. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.